Father, we, uh, we, we, uh, we know that it's true that there is none beside you. There's no height, no depth. No one can fathom the depth of your love, the, the reaches of your grace. So, Father, we are, we are amazed. And we thank you for your grace. We find it truly amazing, even today, that you would love us, that you would give your life for us. So, Father, we are here tonight because you gave your life for us, and, Father, we give our lives back to you. We lay them at your feet, and we ask that you speak to our hearts and change and make us more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, the beautiful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Children, you are dismissed. So the story is told of a company of soldiers in the American Army of Defense who were attempting to hoist a beam into position. They were ending up about an inch shy each time that they tried to hoist the beam up. Uh, The corporal was uh, yelling at them to try it with all that they could, but nothing was getting it any further than just an inch below where it needed to be. A gentleman was standing off to the side next to the corporal, and uh, he made this observation. He said, uh, uh, sir, do, do you think maybe you guys might get it into position if maybe you hopped in there and, and helped him out a little bit? Uh, to which the corporal just started screaming at the guy, yelling at the guy, saying, listen, I am a corporal. Uh, the civilian uh, bowed rather stiffly. Uh, He took off his jacket. He walked over to the rope and uh, he said, listen, let me jump right in here and began to work with the guys, just adding enough strength to lift it that extra inch to get the beam into the spot and drop down sufficiently into the structure. After putting back on his coat, the stranger turned and said, Mr. Corporal, um, I... um, I just want you to know if you have another job like this, please don't hesitate uh, to send for me your commander-in-chief. And with that, George Washington walked away. So what keeps us from serving others? What, what is it that keeps us from grabbing the rope? For that particular corporal, it was uh, maybe pride, position, uh, I'd don't do those things mentality, um, maybe laziness, maybe apathy, maybe lack of love. And by this point, what you're saying is, you know, Randy, really, uh, you've got the wrong audience because the truth is you, uh, are, you're speaking to a Saturday night crew who shows up here. Many of you go out and serve Uh, regularly either rotation on Saturday or you come back tomorrow morning and you serve. And, and And I get that. And some of you are like, you know, I think I'm afraid you might be speaking to the choir here. And what I would say to you is, um, although I'll give you a couple of thoughts about the where and the, and the, and the, and the, the position, uh, that, that even might be available here in our church at the very end, um, that's not really where we're headed tonight. Uh, where we're headed is really at the very core of the message, which is uh, where our heart is. Because I'm actually convinced that we can be servant leaders of a sense, uh, certainly, certainly serving at the very least, and we can do so and still not have a servant's heart. 
just like the video, just like that Salvation Army lady. We can serve and be on the brink of quitting because it's just so hard or because we feel undervalued. Anybody ever been there? You know, you serve and you serve and you serve and you just wonder, you know what, does anybody even value what it is that I'm doing here? Or maybe because we've just lost focus and why we're even doing it, we've kind of forgotten or just lost, lost it. We can serve even at, at Rock Point and, and miss the moments of serving that happens outside of this place because, you know, this is where we pick up the bucket. This is where we pick up the towel. I think that just because we serve, it doesn't mean that we're not due for a reminder from God's word as to what a servant leader looks like. Um, servant, servant leader, a definition. One who leads by seeking to meet others' needs first. Um, there, there's a heart component in there. If I'm going to live that out, that has to do with my heart. I, I want to look at this uh, portion of scripture that we've already looked at from the little kid example here a minute ago and, and see what this ultimate example of service looks like. Um, and, and, and we might read into this not necessarily where you serve here at Rock Point. It might be how we serve in our marriage or how we serve as a parent or as a child or how we serve our coworkers or how we serve random strangers. John 13 verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is a pivotal verse here. It's really important. We're in chapter 13. We're in verse 1. And this verse signifies from the author, John, that we are entering the final chapter of Jesus' life, physical life here on this earth uh, prior to his crucifixion. Verse two, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, pause here again, do you know who you are? This, this verse, verse two and three, signifies that Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he, where he came from. He knew where he was headed. He knew where his identity was in. It was in the father. So the question is, do we know who we are? Do we know what roles we play? What makes up me? I've got a couple of, uh, I, I take this backpack uh, just about everywhere. I've taken it to a lot of countries. I take it, you know, just all around town. I bring it in the office with me. Um, I, I got some identity markers here that I'm going to throw in this backpack, right? I am male, all right? Got that. I am, uh, let's see, I'm going to stick this in the bag here. I am Christ follower. I'm going to put this in here. Um, I am husband. Put that in there. Uh, I am dad. Stick that there. I am son. Uh, I am also brother. Uh, I am also son-in-law. I am also... Well, hopefully I'm still that. I am also brother-in-law. I am also pastor... And I am also friend. And I am also supervisor. And I am also coworker. And I'm also neighbor. 
I'm going to put all this in my backpack here of identity. And each one of those has different responsibilities wrapped up into it. Each one of them gets played out in a different way each day or each week or each month or each part of a year. And so each one of us has this aspect of who we are that is in a variety of different words that's in your backpack. Do you know who you are and are you confident with that? And do you know where you actually came to rest with all of these? Because you see, I'm, I'm convinced that this message is as much about identity and security as it is anything else. Because if we don't get this right, and, and, and believe me, we can fall asleep on this because each one of us would go, oh, no, I got that. I, I know the hats we wear. I get it, Randy. No, seriously, if we don't get this right and know what God says about these, then our heart is not going to be in a condition to be a servant. It just won't. I, I, I think that it, it, the truth is it gets more and more complicated in our world too, right? I mean, what was the first one that I put in? Male. I mean, our world's complicated that. I was looking at this, uh, this, uh, this article, ABC News. That they, they actually pulled this from Facebook, right? But uh, Facebook has listed 58 gender options that are, that I didn't know there were 58 gender options. I would have totally failed that test. Uh, I just put a few of them here. Agender, androgyny, androgynous, bigender, cis male, cis female, uh, male to female, gender fluid, gender nonconforming, gender questioning, gender variant, gender queer, intersex, male to female, neither. <laughs> Neutros. Non-binary. Other. Pangender, transfeminine, transgender, transmasculine, transsexual, two-spirit. Uh, I added two more. Uh, Mork from Orc and Vulcan because um, I didn't see those on the list. Listen, I'm I'm not making fun of people who are struggling with gender issues. I mean, that's our our culture has created a whole lot of confusion with that. Um, What I'm saying is our, our world is attempting to make even the most simplistic part of our identity extremely complicated. But in this chapter of John, Jesus just very simply says, this is this is where I've come from. This is where I'm headed. This is this is who I am. He shows us that he's quite confident in that his identity is wrapped up in the Father from beginning to end. And my question to us is, is our identity wrapped up in the Father from beginning to end in all the titles? Do you understand what he speaks about those titles? Do you understand what those expectations are? Do you understand what that looks like through his eyes? It's, it's complicated for us. I get that. I mean, Jesus kind of defies understanding at some place, right? Because he defies, I mean, we've got all these limitations and Jesus kind of blows the doors out of just time and space, right? But it does show that Jesus is secure in who he is so much so that he throws in the towel and the basin, And he confidently does the unexpected. Verse 4, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around them. And um, in uh, John chapter 1, John the Baptist speaks, prophesies about Jesus. And he actually says to, he actually says, uh, you know, he's speaking about himself. He said, I'm not worthy to even touch the sandals of him that's about to show up on the scene. 
Why did he go there? Why did he speak? Because of what we just talked about with Adam here a minute ago. Uh, feet are nasty. Feet were extremely nasty back then. And, and, and John was trying to paint a picture even in his prophecy that, you know what? I'm not even, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. I'm just, I am so not worthy of touching even Jesus' feet. The cleaning of one's feet was the work of a slave. Jesus laid aside his outer garments. Laid aside, that's a Greek word. And the Greek word, tethesin, it's interesting because in chapter 10, three chapters before this, Jesus speaks about giving his life for everyone. And he uses that same word, tethesin, lay aside. I'm gonna lay aside my life. And that same word pops up on the scene again when Jesus says, I'm going to lay aside my outer garments here, laying down his life. And what's the context? I mean, the context is really interesting, right? Because, I mean, just think about the crowd. You think about the crowd. You've got James and John hanging out there. I mean, they've just had this conversation. They put, their, they put their mother up to the task, right? I mean, she's there trying to bargain and try to figure out if maybe they can get some really solid positions in the next kingdom. Well, can they sit on your left and your right, you know? Well, who's going to be greatest? And then, and then you got Peter. And what, what had Peter just done in Matthew? Just, just earlier, he had been arguing with Jesus. Jesus said, I'm about to give my life away. I'm about to give up my life. And what does Peter say? No, you're not. You can't do that. No, you're not going to do that. He's arguing with the master. I mean, it's one thing for us to argue with a teacher in class over a particular answer. He's arguing with the son of God about what the son of God is saying he's come to do. Boy, Peter had a big head, right? Peter knows best. And you got Judas. I mean, Judas is in the mix. And Judas is in full betrayal mode. He's overtaken by pride with self-preservation, with greed. Get the picture. In this context, Jesus' own tribe, his leadership council, his leadership team, all the way to the ring of three that were the closest men to Jesus did not have a clue what it meant to lead. And he knew it. And so he put the towel around his waist and he began to give them this visual picture of service. Where do I get to sit in your kingdom, Jesus? I know better. I'm going to press my opinion into everybody else's mind and everybody is going to understand that I know. I need to make sure that what is true about this whole picture is that what needs to happen is what's best for me. It's the George Costanza moment, running out of the building, trampling over small children and older adults. But it's also you and me making sure that if we're going to serve, people know it. (laughs) It's you and me making sure that our needs and, and wants are met first before we figure out if we have enough in the tank or enough in the bank to serve. And so Jesus drops this leadership bomb of an example into their midst. Verse six, here we go. And then he came to Simon Peter, 
who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? This is not so much a question as it is a challenge. How dare you, Jesus? Once again, Peter knows best. This action is beyond the pale, Jesus. Okay, well, maybe I shouldn't have used that expression. Inside the pale, get it, pale, bucket, anyway. Jesus answered him, verse 7, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus starts off easy with Peter. And he's just like, Hey, Peter, listen. I know you don't get this right now, but in the next chapter you'll get it. And he's like, no, 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 don't do it, Jesus. Peter, trust me, this is bigger than dirty feet. It's bigger than just feet. This is the son of the living God laying down his life for you. This is accepting what is about to take place on a hill that is right up the road. And classic Peter, still misunderstanding, but at the very least in this passage, trust Jesus enough that it happens and then... Classic Peter also goes overboard. Well, then, Jesus, why don't you just give me a bath then? Pull out the loofah. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Another important part here, there are two different words that Jesus uses here. He actually uses the word loin for bathed, and then he uses also the word neptine for wash. Why does he use two different words? Because he wants them to understand there's a difference between bathing someone's feet and him washing them in this concept of service. You see, this example is not bathing them. The feet were being bathed, but he uses a different word to describe to them that they are being washed, you see, in a new understanding of leadership. Verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one's, one another's feet. He knew his disciples didn't get it. He had to explain it. He had to give them the simplified version here. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, Or is a messenger greater than the one who sent him? If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's the lesson, boys. You see, Jesus explains it. And then in case they don't get it, he tells them, listen, this is who you are to be. And in case they still don't get it, he says, listen, you're going to follow my lead, you see. And many of them did. Most of them then, they followed his lead all the way to martyrdom. Now, he's not expecting everyone to walk the road to martyrdom with him, but it is to walk a selfless servant life. The main lesson, serve with your life. And no, it isn't easy, but thank you, God, for verse 17. Because in verse 17, he says, listen, you follow this, not just with your mind, not just that you've heard about it, but you actually do it. You live it out with your life, and you're going to be what? This fits in the Beatitudes passage, really. That's where it really belongs, you see, because he says, you are blessed. So this week, Holly and I had the unique opportunity to sit down with some missionaries from the Dominican Republic. 
And as we talked with them about their life and heard their story, it was quite compelling. You see, at the age of 65, after having been a very successful real estate broker, brokering million-dollar deals, hotels, all types of experiences, very successful, God called him into a new place. And at age 65, when so many people often think of, you know, excursions to Branson and a new rocking chair for the front porch and more time with the grandkids, they left the country where their grandkids reside and followed God all the way to the Dominican Republic and in the last 10 years after having been there have planted three churches. The fourth one is about to start in September. And at one point, He said to me, Randy, this is the hardest job I've ever had. But it's also the most rewarding. I am blessed beyond belief. And I think about their example there. And as they were just describing their life there in the Dominican, he and his wife live in this small apartment. And in the course of a year out of their little kitchen, she fixes 8,000 meals for for the neighborhood. You know, um, there, was a, there was a quote that I thought of. James Kent wrote these words, nothing is so potent as the solid influence of a good example. That's thoughtful. I get it. Good examples, influential. But you know, as you start to listen to this couple's experience in the Dominican and how they found favor with senators and public officials and in a city of four million people, their, their influential Light for the cause of Christ is shining bright. Why? Because they stepped into a life of service and said, you know what? We're just going to step in and serve those people. We're never more like Christ than when we serve others. Servant leaders lead by example. Servant leaders initiate action. We know that to be true. We just look at Jesus' life. We look at that circle of people around him. And what happened after he exited the scene? What had he done? He had set them up for success because of the example that he had set before them. And so we go back to the backpack. And we go back to this whole security thing. Because I'm convinced that what we base our security in has an awful lot to do with whether or not we live a servant life. True security is found in Christ alone. Anything or anyone else we base our security on becomes a stronghold and strongholds become insecurity, which leads us to our inability to be a servant leader. You see, what it is that we think we're doing to get to where we want to be takes us in the complete opposite direction of where God has us to be. God's saying, here's the trajectory I want you to be on. But we start to base our security in so many other things and it takes us away from a servant heart. We base our security on what the world tells us that we need to have or what we need to look like or what we need to do. And now all of a sudden we go, ta-da, I've got it. I look like it. I've done it. I have it. But that security is cosmetic and material, not eternal and fulfilling. What happens when the money runs out? What happens when the job downsizes? What happens when gravity becomes more powerful than any surgery that we can have? (laughs) You see, I think that's why security from a worldly perspective always has moving goalposts. 
And so as a follower of Christ, if I subject subject myself to the world's definition of security, it really counters rather than complements a servant's heart. You say, well, how is that the case? Because it changes where my eyesight goes, you see. It takes my eyesight off of Jesus. If my eyesight is on the approval of others, of this culture, of this world, then here's what happens. I start listening to these thoughts. I I start listening to thoughts like, well, you can't give that away. You might need it. You can't do that. There's nothing in it for you. You can't let that happen. Don't you realize what it's going to make you look like? You can't lose that argument. Don't you realize you're going to be taken advantage of? Nobody else is doing that. But you see, if my eyesight isn't on that, and my eyesight is on him, then I know who I am. I'm called and created to give my life away in all contexts, whatever the cost, and that's where I actually find my life, you see. That's when God says, aha, now you're living the life of blessing. And he doesn't actually define that, and I'm glad he didn't. Because it looks really different for each individual because he's created you, not only with a specific calling, but with a specific blessing he wants to give you. You say, well, okay, I, I, I get it, Randy, I get it. Where do I start? I, I think serving begins first and foremost by allowing God to do heart surgery on us. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but you do not use your freedom to indulge, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, rather serve one another in love. Romans 15, 17, therefore, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. My eyes are going to be focused on him. That's where I'm going to find my identity. I'm not going to find it in the stuff that I attain, not in the things that people say to me, not in the things that I possess or the things that I do. Serving begins by seeing people as God sees them. We look at this first and we read it all the time in children's ministry because it just makes children feel so good. It makes us feel good to tell children, right? In Psalm 139, 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's highlight the fact that it also says your works all are wonderful. All your works. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Everyone you come in contact with is a wonderful work of God. We make all types of changes to that work by our choices. But even the obnoxious neighbor and the difficult boss, even the two-year-old that really is terrible right now. Philippians 2, 3, 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. How do you do that? The only way we can do that is whenever we see them with Jesus' eyes. Where do, I, where do I start? Serving begins by realizing God has a plan and a purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you. God has plans. It's not just haphazard. This world wasn't just thrown out and then, okay, whatever happens, oh, well, you evolved. Good. I wonder how that's going to work out for you. He had a plan for you. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God created, created in advance for us to do. Serving also begins by realizing others will spend eternity elsewhere. That, that, that as I serve, as I pick up the towel and the basin, as I go to town and all around town, in my house and outside my house, 
and live the life of a servant, then here's what's going to happen. The sweet fragrance, the aroma of Christ penetrates everywhere. And for some of us, it's going to penetrate the lost children that are in our house that haven't said yes to Jesus yet. For others of us, it's a neighbor. For others, it's a coworker. For others, it's a relative that you've just about given up hope on. I, I think it does have to do with us being serious and honest about John five twenty four. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Do we see people like that? In the end, love does not win for everyone. Some choose to lose and they live a life away from God forever. Service begins by realizing others will spend eternity somewhere else. And finally, service begins by knowing my own growth potential. Go back to the blessing part again. Jesus says, listen, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Do you want to grow as my disciple? Then serve. You say, no, really, Randy, I get it. It's a heart thing. I want to be there. I'm ready. Just tell me, where do I start? What do I do? Let's go. Let's go for it. I, I threw a bunch of things up on the screen. And, and for some, it's, it's, it's about relationship. And that's the lens that you see things. And I get it. And so just like all of these uh, identity markers that make up who I am, uh, there are a variety of people that are on the opposite side of that, right? As in mom and brother and spouse and child. And so immediate family members and boss and coworker and employee and neighbor and small group member and pastor and friend and relative and coach and professor. And the list goes on and on and on. And all these people around us. And then in all these contexts, right? And in student ministry and in children's ministry and in greeting and in small group leading and host home and, and, and publicity and graphics and welcome desk and greeters and ushers. And uh, you know, Ron's going to say something tomorrow in the service. And, and I thought I'd say it tonight so that we can kind of be, uh, you know, just the same here, right? Here, here's the reality. The, the well has, has not launched officially. Uh, the, 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 the church plant, you know, that's just, that's just come out of our church. But here's the beauty, right? As they're in these meetings just prepping for their launch. Do you know that over the last couple of weeks, they've averaged about 70 people, 40 adults and 30 kids? It's amazing. That is, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. But do you know also that over half of those adults came out of children's ministry in our church? And so whenever we put up on the screen, hey, listen, are you ready to serve in one of these areas? We're not doing it because we're, we're refueling because God's going to have another launch for us. And another one, I believe, and another one because sin is part of who we are. And so in a sense, you know, we got, we got to reload to continue to, to, to serve those that are here as we prepare again. And again, and again, and some of you are like, no, I get it. I'm in the mix. I'm on the screen. I'm serving. Fine. Then grab somebody else who's not and bring them with you. Don't just rely on Christy or Destin or whoever else that you're serving with to do it for you. Some of the best recruiters are people who are in the trenches right now who are walking in the blessing, who say, you know what? I can't imagine doing anything other than this. You're sitting next to someone right now who needs to be served. 
this week. You're about to pick up some people who need to be served. And you're like, I, I know I serve them every day, Randy. I get it. But, but that coworker is such a jerk. I can't let them get the upper hand. I get it. I know. But I've got a lot of insecurities that keep me from serving in the church, Randy. I know. I get it. But I am scared because if I really say, God, whatever, wherever, he's going to send me someplace that's not even remotely close to a Target or a Whole Foods. I get it. I understand. And so in this moment, we have a choice. We can just say, you know what? I throw in the towel. My identity is going to be so wrapped up in what the world says I'm to be that I don't have time to serve. Or we could say, no, I do. I throw in the towel and I throw in the basin. And I put it in that identity backpack of who God says I am. And I walk 24-7 ready to be who Jesus has called me to be. Will you bow with me? Father, thanks for reminding us through the story of your son what the heart of a servant looks like. And that it's bigger than just a particular place of ministry in the local body. It's bigger than a particular relationship in our life. God, it really is and should be all-encompassing of who we are. And so, God, even as we contemplate that tonight, and as we allow you to do a little bit of surgery on our heart, God, may you take us to that place you want us to be. God, may our identity be so fully consumed by you that there are no strongholds that provide any insecurities in us that keep us from being and serving and doing as a light for your kingdom. God, I pray for this church. I pray that we really would be a church known now more than ever before as a church that serves. That serves one another, that serves people we don't know. And God, may the fuel for that be an ever-increasing gratefulness of what you've done for us. And so God, even as we just take a moment now to walk through this sweet moment of communion, God, may that ultimate sacrifice be a reminder to us that fuels our grateful heart. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name.